Seeking for the help of the Lord, I direct your prayer for attention to the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 6, and reading for our text, verse 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Matthew 6, verse 33 where our Lord and Saviour gives us a priority in our lives. Our text is part of the Sermon on the Mount. We read in chapter 5, Seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, It is this same message of teaching that our text forms a part of. And may we have that hearing ear to the Lord. There were many that heard him while he was on earth, and yet, as he said, they heard the word, but they did not do those things that he set before them. How vital it is the Lord does give us a hearing ear, that he grants us his grace, that we do listen to that which is being spoken, and that we are blessed through that word. It is a great blessing if that is the case, and we should really examine and ask ourselves how much of the word that we have read to us and that we read Do we actually put into practice? Do we actually consider whether we are applying it to ourselves or rather that the Lord applies it to us so that we cannot get away from that word, it holds it fast and we move it. To be different to the world. Our Lord is speaking of which is all the world different and may it be this morning an excellent than the general multitude it is a hard thing for us isn't it to be different in a lot of ways we like to conform we don't like to stand out we don't like to be marked down if we're in an assembly in a room we don't like to be different to perhaps be dressing differently or speaking differently Sometimes it is something that we can be very conscious of. In the book of Ruth, we read of Ruth saying to Boaz, Though I be not like one of thy handmaidens, she was from Moab, and she was not like those of Bethlehem, and she felt it so. When I first returned back to this land and had quite a strong Australian accent, I used to be very conscious of that. Well, sometimes I uh, forgot it or first didn't realise it until people did notice it. And then I became very mindful of it and concerned until I realised that there were so many accents in Great Britain that it really didn't matter. But it is a hard thing for us to stand out from the crowd, to start doing something that is different and yet if ever we are to be called by God if ever we are to be saved we will have to come out from among them and be ye separate and touch not 
the unclean thing. May this thought then first remain with us. If ever we are to be saved, we are to be different, different than the multitude, different like Lot was than those in Sodom, different like Noah was in his day, and different like the people of God will be at the last time when the Lord comes and separates the righteous from the wicked, when his angels come to gather his people home. May we never be ashamed of being different in being followers of the Lord Jesus Christ and of his people. When the apostles went forth preaching, why, with regard to the Apostle Paul, they said that he was part of that sect that of everywhere was spoken against. They were different. They were bringing a different gospel, a new gospel, a real gospel, and this was noticed. But there's three things, really, where we could say that difference does really lie. One thing is a difference in what we are anxious about. Our Lord is speaking here not just about taking thought literally. We, we, we should plan our lives in one sense. We uh, need to uh, plan the next meal or things like that. But what he is speaking of here is the anxious, burdensome care. So it is an all-consuming, what shall we eat? What shall we put on? Wherewithal shall we be clothed? It is an anxious concern over these things. And we have an example when our Lord went into the house of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He loved them all, they loved him. But at that time Martha was cumbered about with much serving and she uh, was speaking to our Lord about her sister Mary who was sitting at his feet hearing his word. She said, bid her that she come and help me. Well, the Lord spoke on Mary's behalf. He said, She hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. But there was a reproof to Martha as well. Martha, thou art comfort, careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful. And even with the Lord in the house, we can be so burdened and troubled and trying to really do more than what was necessary, maybe with our Lord in Martha's case, all that was needed was a few uh, victuals instead of a feast. But uh, what, what she was doing was taking her from that place that Mary was. And so what are we anxious over are we anxious like the world that can only be anxious over material things, anxious over food and raiment and a house and a car and a home and all the possessions, the riches, the Lord said, of the rich, they do not suffer him to sleep. And yet are we anxious on the other side about our soul, about where we shall spend eternity, about how we stand before God, the sentence of death upon us, death that we must come to 
how soon we do not know and that we are under condemnation that man unless there is that way of escape found cannot stand before God after death the judgment and then there is the wrath to come eternal damnation eternally cast away in hell two destinations two places heaven or hell two characters saved or lost is that what we are concerned about is that what we are anxious about or are we only anxious about things that shall only be concerning us here and as soon as death comes eternity comes an unchangeable state then those things that we're anxious about then mean nothing they're finished they're gone and we are soon forgotten but our soul lives on and on and on what is it that we are anxious and careful about here in our text is speaking about a difference those that are anxious about eternal spiritual things they are more so than those of temporal things so the difference the difference between us and the world the difference between us and the majority must be the difference in what we are anxious and concerned about we should be concerned about our soul vitally concerned we should not be anxious and troubled about temporal things which shall soon pass away the second thing is that we are different in what we seek after our Lord is speaking of those that are seeking after those temporal things they're actively going after them. But here the Lord is setting before us a seeking not of those things, something different, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So a difference there. We must ask ourselves, do we have that difference? Or don't we have the difference at all? The seeking of eternal things, the seeking of God and his righteousness does not feature at all with us. If we were to measure it by time, how much time do we spend on temporal things seeking those and how much time do we spend in seeking the things of God? If we were to measure it in our thoughts, if we were to measure it in our money, in our giving, in our gifts, earlier on in this chapter, it speaks of arms. We're not to parade it before men, but where our heart is, there our treasure will be. We think of where our petitions and our prayers, are they just praying for temporal things? Or is it praying for spiritual things do we just follow the lord for loaves and the fishes the lord reproved in john chapter 6 after he had worked the wonderful miracle of feeding the multitudes he said to them that followed to him over the sea you seek me not because you saw the miracles but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled 
There they were seeking, but not those things which were above. And so the difference, a difference here, we need to really search our hearts and ask, do we have that difference? A difference to the world, a difference to those that, of the multitudes, profane world, and we might say the religious world. A difference in whether it be an inward or an outward thing that we are seeking for. It's not just to be very active religiously, actively in the Lord's house, or actively doing the things that are religious. No, that heart devotion and real relationship with the Lord. If we were to put it in the way of even a husband and wife or a loved one, how much is it that we are actually seeking that person's presence, company, enjoyment, fellowship. This is what is to be sought here. It's a close relationship with the Lord. But then there's also a difference of priority. What do we put as the priority in our lives. Anyone in business knows that they need to put priority on the right things, the right emphasis of time, of money, on the right things. And that is what is being set before us here. And so we are directed to look at our whole lives as a whole, whole package. And to ask ourselves what priority are the things of God and the things of this world, things to do with me or things to do with God. The law is that we are to love the Lord with love thy God with all thy heart, with all thy mind and with all thy soul and thy neighbour as thyself. What priority do we put it? There's once a young lad and he used to refer to himself as James the Third. And someone asked him why he referred to himself as James the Third. Well, he said, it is God first, my neighbour second and James third. And may we then have a right priority as set forth here in this text. Well, I want to look then with the Lord's help at three points. Firstly, the kingdom of God and how we are to seek it. As we are exhorted, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, we need to know what is the kingdom of God and how do we seek it? And secondly, God's righteousness, why we need it and where to seek it. And then thirdly, getting our priorities right. But firstly, the kingdom of God and how 
we are to seek him. The kingdom of God, of course, has a king. And that king is our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. We think of God's kingdom as set before us in the Lord's Prayer, of which we read. Thy kingdom come, verse 10. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And then the the closing words of it, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. But the Lord is very clear that his kingdom was not of this world. If his kingdom were of this world, then he said in the garden would my servants fight. But my kingdom is not from hence. And even the disciples They struggled to get this idea. When the Lord was to ascend up into heaven, they said to him, Will thou this time restore the kingdom unto Israel? They were under the Roman rule then. And the charge, the fear, when our Lord was born, was that there was born a king in Bethlehem. And Herod feared. He thought it was going to be a threat to him. And this charge came again and again through our Lord's life. But our Lord is not setting up a kingdom on earth in that way. It's not going to be in this nation or that nation. It is on in all the nations of the world. It is a spiritual kingdom. But we can describe it in three ways. One It is a kingdom that is on earth in gospel days. You know, the Apostle Paul, when he was preaching to those at Mars Hill, Athens, and they were worshipping all sorts of gods, altars for many gods, and one for the unknown God. And the Apostle, he says, Him whom ye do ignorantly worship, I declare unto you. And he closes that portion of God's command that now he commandeth all men everywhere to repent. In the past, God had turned a blind eye to those that had worshipped all sorts of idols, all sorts of gods, But in this gospel age, in this gospel day, when the scriptures are fulfilled, the Lord has come, he has suffered, he's bled and died and rose again. The gospel is to be preached in every nation and every kingdom. It is these gospel days, days in which the kingdom of God is set forth in every nation, kindred and tongue. And so it can be described as well as that kingdom that is a preached kingdom. When the Lord uh, sent forth his disciples, as recorded uh, in the uh, Gospel according uh, to Luke and chapter 9, We read there that he sent his disciples out to preach and what they were to preach was the kingdom of God. Chapter 9 verse 2. 
He sent them to preach the kingdom of God. Now, in one sense, at that time they could not preach Christ and him crucified. That was still very dark to them. Our Lord had not died yet, though set forth in all the types and the shadows. But what they could preach and could set forth was that the same message as when the Lord was born, God had come. God's time was come. That God's, he was working. This was the time of deliverance. This was the time when the power of God was come forth. This is like when Moses was sent to Israel in Egypt. The message that God had heard their prayers, he'd seen their groans, he'd come down to deliver them. How he was going to deliver them, when he was going to deliver them, they did not know that. And they had many trials before as the Lord showed his signs in Egypt. But the Lord was beginning that work. He was doing it. And and this is the the great expectation when John the Baptist came and uh, and the Lord was at hand. He was preparing the way of the Lord. And so it is a, a kingdom that is preached. It is also a kingdom of which the Lord said that the least in that kingdom was greater than John the Baptist. And in Luke chapter 7, the Lord says there, Uh, that for I say unto you among those that are born of women there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist but he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he and our Lord is contrasting the days of the prophets of which John was the last and the days when the gospel of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ is fully known, fully shown fully preached. We know who the promised seed was pointing to. We know his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection. All these things are to be unfolded and set forth and preached in this gospel day. So in this sense, the kingdom that is spoken of here, the kingdom of God, is to be the gospel day, the days in which we live when the gospel is proclaimed and set forth throughout all the world. The Lord is very clear, if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall perish in your sins. There is none other name given among men whereby we must be saved. But it's also an inward kingdom The Lord said that the kingdom of God cometh not with observation. It is within you. It is actually formed inwardly. And in some of the parables he gives the example of like the kingdom of God is likened unto a mustard seed, the smallest of seeds, which when it is planted in the earth and then it groweth up into one of the biggest herb trees that there are. He also likens it to yeast or to leaven that is put into bread and that small amount of yeast, it slowly leavens the whole, it slowly fills the whole. And our Lord spoke about the parable of the sower 
which the seed is the word of God. The four types of hearers or grounds that that seed was cast into. And then it brings forth fruit only in that good ground, did it? The other grounds, it never brought forth fruit at all to perfection. And so the kingdom of God, it is that which is an inward kingdom working in the heart of the people of God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It begins with the new birth. He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. It is vital that we have a personal, inward, heart work wrought by God, the Holy Spirit, within us. Then it is also a kingdom which is in heaven. When our Lord was crucified, there was two thieves that were crucified with him, and one of them was converted. One of them reproved his friend uh, and said, Dost thou not fear God, being in the same condemnation? We indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And then he turned to the Lord and said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. He had been given such faith in that short time to believe that the Lord was a king. Over his cross was written, uh, Jesus, King of the Jews. But he knew also that his kingdom was not of this world. And so he put his petitions in that way. Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And... What faith to view the suffering Saviour in all his humility and to say such things. The Lord answered him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And of course the, that day their, their bodies are still to be on the cross or laid in the grave, but, uh, absent from the body, present with the Lord. And so there's these three ways, the gospel uh, upon the earth, the good news of salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, an inward kingdom in our hearts and a kingdom in heaven. So if that is the kingdom, then how, how are we to, to seek it then? Well, obviously if we are just going about the things of the world and shunning, the message of the gospel, shunning the places of worship, having nothing to do with the people of God, have nothing to do with the word of God, never sit under the preaching of the word of God, and that we never walk in a path of prayer, we cannot be said in any way to be seeking the kingdom of God. Now we know, of course, there are many that do all of those things. They sit in a chapel all their days, they're with the people of God, they read, they pray, and yet they're never converted. They never have an inward work. They never really are seeking the things of God. But we could say that those that never are found even outwardly in that way, it doesn't take much discernment to discern that they are not seeking the things of God. 
He does take discernment to discern that those that are found in their place under the preached word all the time, whether they really are seeking or coming and going as a door upon its hinges. But if we are never found, never found with the people of God, if someone was to be looking upon our life and God looks upon our life and he sees all aspects of our life and he sees where we go and where we spend our time with and who we love and what word we read and what we pray for, he will see, and if we're honest with ourselves, we will see what is it we're actually seeking after. And if we are spending that time and money and affections in seeking after the things of God, it will be on the other side as well. There will be a backside to it in not seeking the things of earth. All the time that we would have spent in that, we are spending with the people of God. We think of the uh, exhortations to prayer in this passage, not openly, not to be seen of men, but in the closet. That which is between our soul and God. That which is not seeking to just appear unto men to be seeking, but appearing really unto God. The Bereans, they heard the Apostle Paul preach. They didn't just hear him preach, they searched the word daily, whether these things were so. Went home, took their Bibles, uh, took the Old Testament scriptures in their day, and they searched those things. And because of that, we read many of them believed if we are seeking the things of God then there will be those things we cast out the Lord spoke of if thine eye offend thee or thy hand offend thee if it is going after and doing things that are sinful and wrong cut it off not literally but it is a he says it would be better entering into the kingdom of God having but one hand than having two and cast into hell fire or one eye than being having two eyes and cast into hell fire. In other words, there are some things in our lives that all the time are fighting against the kingdom of God. They're not a help to us. You know, if someone was running a race and they'd got a heavy burden on their back, you'd say to them, look, if you really want to run this race, you better get rid of that burden. You take that off. You, you won't do well with that on. And there sometimes we see things in life and you think, well, the person is seeking this, but if they've got this as well, they're, they're never going to do very well. They're never going to get on. Uh, and so there's a, a laying aside. The apostle says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us, and run the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus. If we're then we are really seeking, we'll be taking up our cross and following the Lord. And there is a cross. There is a cost to it. Sometimes in, in business it will be so. And certainly I had 
those times that in professing the ways of the Lord, opportunities, doors were closed to me. Many will find difficulty in employment where there is requirement to work on the Lord's day and there's that desire to keep the Sabbath day uh, holy. There will be a cross in that way where there is a coming out from the family. The Lord spoke about uh, the need to come out from among them and if one is called in the midst of a family then the Lord says think not that I am come to send peace upon the earth but rather division a father against a daughter a daughter against her mother a man's foes are they of his own household the world doesn't like change doesn't like to let go of one that they've been used to walking in a worldly way to then suddenly be seeking the things of God and to begin to pray and begin to read the word of God. They don't like it. And that is a cross to take up, a tribulation, something to count the cost of. Then it is also seeking the things above, living as for eternity having respect unto the recompense of the reward, being mindful that this life is but short and that in heaven the Lord says, I go to prepare a place for you and if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself that where I am ye may be also. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. It is having respect unto that inheritance that is incorruptible, undefiled, and that fadeth not away. The Old Testament church looked forward to Christ's first coming. The New Testament looks for his second. One of the marks of the calling of the Thessalonian believers was to wait for his Son from heaven. And if we are truly seeking the Lord, we are told that they that look for him, he shall appear the second time without sin unto salvation. You're not to be like the five foolish virgins that had no oil in their lamps. You're not to be like any of them, those that slumbered and slept, but to be watching and waiting and seeking those things that are above. You know, in the next chapter we have a beautiful word and often keep it in mind in the ministry and especially seeking for a text in verse 7 of chapter 7 ask and it shall be given you seek and ye shall find knock and it shall be opened unto you ask for a text seek for a text in the word of God and pray that it be opened up to you and that doesn't apply just to us in the ministry it's a good principle for all of the people of God to be asking, seeking and knocking. Lord, I don't understand this passage. What does it mean? And you knock in a way of prayer. And that is a seeking. What a beautiful promise is added to that. If ye then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father your Father which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him. 
So the kingdom of God and how to seek it. Do we seek it? Do we know what it is? And do we seek it? And is it evident to us and to those round about that all our prayer and praise suggests come and dwell within my breast? It is a searching word, isn't it? But then secondly, God's righteousness. Why we should seek that. Our Lord not only said, but seek ye first the kingdom of God, but the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The reason is this, because we have no righteousnesses of our own. There is a real danger that men would hear, as it were, the first part of this, and then return back to God and say, look, look what I'm doing. I'm attending a chapel, I'm going to worship, I'm reading my Bible, I'm praying, I'm giving to the Lord's work, and aren't I a good Christian? You must take me to heaven now. And the eye is looking to our own works. We are seeking to purchase heaven by our own works, by our own goodness, our own righteousness. And yet all our righteousnesses, the word says, are as filthy rags. There is no merit in those things that we do. There is nothing that we can use as a bargaining. There is sin mixed with everything. And especially if we're thinking, in effect, to say, thy death is not necessary, thy righteousness is not necessary, I'll earn my way to heaven. How often this was dealt with by the uh, apostles, the uh, chapter 10 in Romans, especially the apostle desired that his countrymen be saved. And he says, I bear them record that they have a zeal for God or zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. They being ignorant of God's righteousness, going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. And so it's a great danger to actually be in the way of the Lord, in the Lord's house, and yet be seeking in a way that you'll never, ever be saved at all. The Apostle, when he wrote to the Galatians, the Galatians, that they had received the Gospel first as mercy, as grace, as the free gift favour of God, and yet then now they turned again, and they were adding to it that you must be circumcised, you must keep the law, or otherwise you cannot be saved. By grace ye are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. In seeking the righteousness of Christ, then we are seeking that which he has wrought out, his works, his goodness, and not our own. Everyone that is taught of God will be taught this, that they have in themselves a wicked and an evil heart, and that they are sinners and that they cannot do good. The Apostle says, 
The good that I would, I do not. The evil that I would not, that I do. A wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? And the answer was the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Lord Jesus Christ on earth, he fulfilled the law. He became man, God and man in one person, two natures distinct and perfectly joined. And in that, that two natures, there he, as the Lord Jesus Christ, he lived a perfect life. He wrought out a righteousness that was to be imputed or put on the account of his people, of those that believe. That righteousness is the righteousness to be sought after here. His righteousness imputed to us, given to believers. And then upon the Calvary's tree, there he suffered, bled and died. There he laid down his life a ransom. There he paid our debt. There he fulfilled the requirement. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. There he laid down his life and took it again. And our hope is in what the Lord has done for us. And we are justified when we by faith believe in and trust in what he has done. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but what he has done. And that's what we are to seek for. And that is given by God. That belief, that faith, that trust is given by God to us. And he will teach us day by day, and I say that to the encouragement of any that feels like the Apostle did, the sin working within. We are promiscuous creatures. Nothing we look at, we sin in everything. We go after evil. We go after the lust of the eyes, the desires of our hearts, our fallen hearts. And we are to be convinced under the law of God that we are sinners, we are under the sentence of death, we are condemned. And in that place, we are like the publican to pray, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Unless we receive the gospel as a mercy gift, as a free gift, Unless we receive it as that which is given without works, then we shall always be cleaving to something that we have done. It will be offensive to us for others to tell us that in us dwells no good thing. It will be offensive to us to be told that our works do not merit anything in God's sight. No, it is true God's dear children with the work of God in them will live godly, upright lives, lives without reproach like Daniel's. Though we do feel and know there's many things that are wrong within us. But our eye is not on that. We're not trusting in that to be saved. And the Lord will show us day by day many, many things that will take away any hope or thought of salvation in that way. If you and I have any little niggling thoughts about something good in us, recommending us to God, 
and is entitled to heaven, then this exhortation is absolutely vital for us that we seek his righteousness because the righteousness that we are cleaving to now like the apostle could see in those that he desired to be saved will never save us, it will never bring us to heaven. Sinners can say none but they how precious is the Saviour, the hymn writer says, tis Christ that died, tis his blood, tis what he has done, the crown is on his head. This people have I formed for myself, they shall show forth my praise. The apostle says I am what I am by the grace of God. So then we are to see God's righteousness, Christ's righteousness, the righteousness that he imparts to us. In the third place, getting our priorities right. How often this is so difficult with us. When Solomon was made king, then the Lord appeared to him in a dream and asked him what he should give him. And Solomon, feeling his lack of wisdom, his youth, he asked that the Lord would give him an understanding heart to judge thy people that I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this, thy so great a people? We are told that this saying really pleased the Lord. He said that because he had asked that thing and had not asked long life, nor the life of his enemies, nor riches, but he would give him wisdom, but also give him those things that were not asked. And we see a direct parallel to our text. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Those, the raiment, uh, the earthly things, the food, all of those things shall be added. But the priority, like with Solomon, was to seek that which is of the greatest value. It didn't mean that they lacked the other, and I believe it can testify to that the Lord is good and supplies every need. But what priority? And, you know, it begins with prayer. How is our prayers? What priority do we put in prayer? Even in our prayers, but in prayer. When we begin a day, how do we begin the day? Do we tumble out of bed and immediately with the things of this life Or do we come before the Lord in prayer and read his word first? What is our priority? What about in the week? How do we begin the week? We we, we gather together here, the Lord's Day, beginning the week. But how do we begin it? How do we spend the Lord's Day? Is it in worship? Is it with his people? Is it as sanctifying the Lord's day, one day in seven? Or do we say, well, we'd rather have seven days ourselves and, well, just a few 
a little time in the Lord's day for the Lord, that'll be enough. Or it is Sabbath well spent, brings a week of content, strength for the trials of the morrow. Sabbath ill-spent, whatever be gained, is a sure forerunner of sorrow. Our priority, what about in times of trouble? It's an amazing thing when we come to Psalm 107, where we see them brought down again and again into trouble. They fell down, there was none to help. Where had they been seeking help from? Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble and he brought them out of their distresses. Read at the end of Psalm 25, Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. If you and I rightly get out of trouble, it will be through the Lord, through being redeemed out of that trouble. Call upon me in the day of trouble, I will deliver thee, thou shalt glorify me is the direction of the word of God. And so it is a priority when we have trouble. Very often that can make us immediately anxious, immediately rushing here and there and wanting to do this and that. It's like a man that wants to chop down a tree and he's got to do it in a quick time. He grabs his axe and he immediately starts laying into the tree and one says, no, you stop. You sharpen that axe first. You get that nice and sharp and then you go at the tree. And then he gets the tree cut down much quicker. How often do we start with prayer and put that as a priority? To seek the Lord first, to come before the Lord first. Or is it that we could say, well, others are looking upon our lives. I say, well, that man, he always puts his work first. He always puts his family first or or he puts his hobbies first. He puts this first or that first. Those that really know us and look upon our lives are able to read in a lot of ways what kind of priorities we are putting. But God sees everything. He sees our hearts. He sees our lives. He sees what we are putting first and what we're putting last. So this is a word that brings us to really think of what our priorities are. What does God see them as from his perspective? This is a searching word. I find it so. I hope you do. I hope it's a prophet to us. I hope it brings us again to set our priorities right and then to notice the Lord's blessing upon our life and upon all that we do. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. The Lord add his blessing. Amen.